Well, I want to say good afternoon. I must be a little tired because. So you'll have to forgive me if I get a little emotional or if I come across a little angry. I don't mean to be angry. This is my 18th year at Asbury Seminary, my 18th Black History Month celebration. And I'm sitting back and just uh, wondering how long? How many times do you have to get up and speak and pour out your heart and your soul and try to encourage the folk to come back year after year after year and see that there's just, the, the, the tree is still barren. There's just no figs on the tree yet. There's no fruit. Cut it down. Just cut it down. Be done with it. For generations, African Americans have been saying over and over and over, this is our experience. This is what we have endured. This is why we are the way that we are. And year after year after year after year, generation after generation after generation, it falls on, on deaf ears. Aren't your churches still segregated for the most part? Cut it down. So, Rick, what do you want? What do you want? I came to Asbury in 1999, and I walked into the administration building down on the Wilmore campus. And as I walked through the doors, there's sitting along the wall this bust of a black man, just a head. And I had to ask, who is that? Somebody pointed out to me that, well, that, that's Harry Hoosier. Now, I'd come from Taylor University, where they celebrate Samuel Morse. They have a Samuel Morse scholarship fund and Samuel Morse banquet every year. And they just have made this big deal about Sammy Morse and the contribution he made to the development of Taylor University. So I was expecting that if they got that black bus sitting up there, Harry Hoosier, he must have been something. And Asbury's going to be celebrating Harry Hoosier the way Taylor celebrated Samuel Morse. But I come to find out that who was Harry Hoosier? Harry Hoosier was born, they're not quite sure when, sometime between 1750 and 1753. He was born in North Carolina, they know that, and he was born slave. They don't know how he got his freedom exactly, but they think that sometime just after the Revolutionary War, because he did such something for somebody, they don't know what, they don't know who, but somehow he was granted his freedom. He was already a Christian, already a Christian. We know because when Francis Asbury came over to the States, he came over about 1771, they think around 1775 he bumped into Harry Hoosier. No, no, nothing you know, provocative, no big deal was made until about five years later when Francis Asbury needed somebody to, I want to say, work with him. But no, Francis was looking for a servant. He needed somebody to serve him, somebody to look after his horse, somebody to drive his carriage, somebody, and of course, he looked to 
somebody black. He approached Richard Allen. Richard Allen said, no. I love you, but no. So somehow Harry Hoosier came to mind, and he approached Harry Hoosier, and Harry said, okay. Now, Harry was illiterate. He couldn't read. He couldn't write. He drove the carriage. He took care of the horse. There's this famous portrait that I saw that someone painted and donated to Asbury Seminary. They got, a, they got him sconded away somewhere. And I looked at this portrait, and there's Francis Asbury sitting and warming himself in front of this beautiful fire. They're outdoors, of course. And you look beyond Francis, and you see in the background, there's this little black man taking care of the horse in the cold. That's Harry Hoosier. Bothered me. Bothered me. And then it really began to bother me as I began to study who Harry Hoosier was. Who was this guy? I looked in the, in the uh, discipline of the, of the AME Church to read about Richard Allen, to read about Francis Asbury, to read about Harry Hoosier, who's not held in very high regard because he took care of Francis Asbury and took care of his horse. Richard Allen said no. Harry said okay. Somehow driving that carriage, all these bumpy, dirty, long nights and roads, etc. Francis Asbury began to read the Bible and stuff, and he began to read it out loud. And as he's reading out loud, he suddenly discovers that Harry Hoosier has this, even though he can't read and write, he's got this fantastic mind. He's got this fantastic memory. And he is memorizing all these passages of Scripture, long passages. It came to the place where Asbury would ask Harry to warm up the crowds whenever they stopped someplace. And it got to the place where Harry would start warming up the crowd and Francis Asbury would come out and he would do his thing. But the people wanted Harry Hoosier. So he started asking Harry then to preach to the blacks who would come as a part of the camp meetings and stuff. And sure enough, Harry started speaking and Harry got Harry was gifted. He was a gifted orator. And don't you know, he sat back and his most famous sermon was the barren fig tree. And he would start challenging people, produce, produce, or get chopped down. This country is going to hell in a handbasket right now. Racism rising up everywhere. People at each other's throat, divisiveness, everybody looking for a firm foundation to stand on. And where are they turning? Well, they can't turn much to the church, can they? And they can't turn to their politics, and they can't turn to, what do you turn to? Everybody's floundering. And I'm thinking about Harry Hoosier. Why am I thinking about Harry Hoosier? Because this, this little, short, black man, who got dubbed the name Old Black Harry because he was so dark. He would open his mouth and start speaking. And he, something, there was something musical about his voice, they say. There was something magical about a spirit that exuded from him that said to him it was okay for him to take care of a horse and drive a buggy. 
he delivered this sermon. It was in Virginia. And one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence was in the audience. And he heard this. And he saw this little black man. And he left there and made this proclamation. He is the greatest orator in America. He was the Billy Graham of his era. I know because three years later, Francis Asbury loaned him out to Thomas Koch. And Thomas Koch took him on the road with him. And Thomas Koch, after hearing Harry a little bit, would proclaim, he is the greatest preacher in the world. Here's Harry Hoosier, this little illiterate black man who can't read, who can't write, who all of a sudden comes down off of that carriage and he becomes one of the most prominent and prolific circuit writers during this early second awakening of the Methodist movement, Harry Hoosier. And his name becomes synonymous with this ability to orate the word of God. And he's winning thousands of people to the Lord. He has become so popular that he's become dangerous. He's going from Pennsylvania all the way down to North Carolina. And everybody knows about this guy, so much so that when Harry tried to stop being a circuit rider and settle down in Philadelphia, Francis Asbury begged him, had to beg him, please come and get back on the circuit. Come and join me because so many people want to hear you. They want to hear you. And Harry said, okay. Don't you know that Harry Hoosier preached the first sermon, recorded sermon, of an African-American in this country. Harry Hoosier preached the first sermon to a white congregation. Harry Hoosier touted as the best order in America and the greatest, one of the greatest in the world. Harry Hoosier, and I'm hearing him shout, this barren fig tree, this barren fig tree. Richard Allen took pity on him, sometime down the road a little bit, and decided he wanted to teach him how to read. Spent some time teaching him how to read and write. Harry started, and once he started, he figured out that he wasn't able to preach the way that he'd been, and he stopped. He determined to remain illiterate. He determined to remain ignorant. He said, I live by God, by the Spirit. I preach by the Spirit. I walk by the Spirit. Spirit is everything for me, and it was sufficient. I want that spirit in me. I need that spirit in me. As I start getting tired and I start wondering, how many more times, Lord, how many more times do I sit and tell them? I was invited by one of the faculty members down in Wilmore to their home for dinner. We had a wonderful time together having dinner. Then after dinner, we sat around together, and they wanted to ask me a question. And they said, so... Here's what, we're, here's what we're wrestling with. Can you help us understand? What do you associate the black experience with? What do you associate the black experience with? Pain. Pain. Harry did get a chance to settle down in Philadelphia. He's considered the founding, you see a big placard in front of the church, a founding father of Zohar, United Methodist Church in Philadelphia, Harry Hoosier. They think 
that be, while Harry was pastoring this church, you know, they used real wine in the communion. And Harry probably, I don't know if he knew it, did he realize what was going on, but Harry became addicted to that wine. And Harry ended up slipping and slipping and slipping. I don't know if he was remembering all that he had to deal with being this black circuit rider, the carriage and the horse, hunted, talked about. I don't, I'm sure it weighed on him. The whites of that time wanted to make sure, yes, to Francis Asbury and to Thomas Cox, that Harry, being so good at what he did, didn't get a big head. So didn't want to promote him. They wanted to suppress him lest he become puffed up beyond measure. I'm sure that must have aided him as he was receiving the accolades of pastoring this church. But Harry succumbed to the wine. And he ended up on the streets of Philadelphia as a wino, going through garbage trying to find bits of rags to sell for coins. Fifty years later, when they wrote about Harry, that's what they wrote about. Wino on the streets of Philadelphia, a rag picker. Here's what they don't tell you. Harry knew. He knew where he'd come from. He knew how God had used him. He knew. He knew. He knew. And because he knew when he was in trouble, he didn't want to be that barren fig tree. So what Harry did was he found himself completely destitute, completely broken, completely an abject, sorrowful failure in his own eyes. He planted himself beneath an oak tree. And he stayed there. And he started repeating Psalms 51, verse 12. David's prayer of contrition over and over and over and over and all night long, he stayed there. And when he got up the next morning, God had delivered him. Harry got up, cleaned up, and went back to work for the kingdom. I sit back and I question, what do you have to do? How good do you have to be? Just how good do you have to be in order for the tree to start bearing some fruit? Before I came over here, I went on the internet and I wanted to look at artwork. I called up artwork of Harry Hoosier. There wasn't much. I called up artwork of Harry Hoosier and Francis Asbury pops up. Thomas Coke pops up. You do find a picture of Harry Hoosier. You see, Harry was one of the two African-Americans invited to the Christmas conference that has established American Methodism. Wasn't allowed to vote, but they did do a picture. And if you look at this picture, you'll look around and you'll see everybody until you come across the altar, every, all these white faces. And then you see this one little black face peeking out from the side of the altar, Harry Hoosier. There was just something about him. He was just that meek and that mild and that humble. He would never admit it himself, but we declare him to be one of the founding fathers of American Methodism. 
And so when I saw that bust in the, in the foyer down at the administration building of Asbury Seminary, and started learning all this stuff, I started getting excited about, man, Harry Hoosier and what he could be, what he could represent, what he represents for Asbury Seminary, what he represents for Methodism, what he represents for, do you know something? We found out that they didn't ordain blacks in those days. And uh, around 1805, a group of white pastors, about a dozen of them, signed a petition for the ordination, for Harry to be ordained. And they refused. He died in 1806. So Asbury Seminary allowed me to begin the Harry Hoosier Institute, which is located in the library. And the bust that was down in Wilmore is now sitting there. And you go into the room back there and you start reading all this stuff about Harry Hoosier. While we did that, we also started petitioning the various United, all the various Methodist bodies across the nation for a posthumous ordination for Harry Hoosier. Every one of them has turned us down. How good do you have to be for that tree to start bearing some figs? So I get a little angry. And yet, I've never been starstruck. It's probably a blessing, but it's probably not as much of a blessing as I think because I'm wondering what, I, what I'm going to do when I, when I actually see Jesus for the first time. Well, I, I hope to be starstruck, but I've never, I'm not my personality. And yet, of all the personalities that I've grown to, lo to learn about over the years, Harry Hoosier is the one that I want to meet, sit down and talk with, and just find out what it was that made him who and what he was all about. Because truly, if anybody was on a quest for personal holiness and embodied all the stuff that Methodism says to be about, it's Harry Hoosier. And so it's a shame for us that we are not lifting this guy up and promoting him all over America the way that he needs to be. Harry Hoosier. They did it for Richard Allen. He was the other one at that Christmas conference that established American Methodism. It's yet to be done for Harry Hoosier. How many times must I stand up here? How many more years? The gardener said, give it just one more year. Don't cut it down yet. I'll give it some special care and treatment. I'll fertilize it. I'll give it extra water. I'll tend to it. Just one more year, and if it's not bearing fruit, then we'll cut it down. I like that. So, beloved, you have one more year. God bless you.